0: Welcome to the Better Together podcast. Here, you'll find inspiring and enlightening podcasts brought to you by our MDS-ARG pods. ARGs, associate resource groups, strive to explore, highlight, and share the wide breadth of experience of our BD colleagues, their families, and their communities. Today's podcast is presented by the Parent and Caregiver ARG and focuses on an individual who grew up in the foster care system as well as what they learned from their experiences in the process here's joe Balin with isaiah griffin
1: welcome to the better together podcast i'm excited today we have isaiah griffin with us a tm out of the north florida region isaiah is going to talk about his experiences growing up in foster care, and we're excited to bring this to you from the Pact, which is the Parent and Caregiver Team ARG Pod. And so, Isaiah, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you, Joe. It's a pleasure to be here, and I look forward to really speaking on and about foster care and my experiences, and hopefully tie that into resources BD has to offer regarding it.
1: Excellent. Well, let's get started. I mean, I had the chance to talk to you, Isaiah, and was just really impressed and and just, you know, touched by your story. And I think it's a great story to share. So why don't you take a few minutes and tell us about your background and where you came from and about your foster care experience growing up?
2: Uh, So originally I'm from Miami, Florida. And foster care for me started at the age of seven. My twin sister and I were pretty much placed into foster care due to negligence from uh, the guardian that we were staying at, which was my grandmother. Due to her negligence and my sister and I really experiencing abuse in, in various ways, we told our teacher. One day after school, and it's, I believe, was in first grade. And from that moment on, we never went back to that house and we began the journey with foster care. So, at the age of seven, we s- briefly stayed at a shelter where um, you have a number of kids there without families or may have families, but just have been admitted to, to foster care as well. And then not too long we were brought into perhaps the best foster home that we have ever been placed in and i'm speaking for my sister as well with ethel and paul who were also very new foster parents so we were their first foster kids and they were our first foster parents Um, we stayed with them for three years and at three years we were given a normal somewhat of a normal childhood from being able to attend summer camps from joining sports such as baseball i was introduced to baseball as my first sport uh was able to be a normal kid so harry potter was huge back then <laughs> not to date myself yeah, oh yeah. but but harry potter was was a huge part of childhood for many kids at that time so i was able to read the books go watch the movies i had video games just a normal childhood which typically doesn't happen in foster care
1: isaiah was this from seven to uh, from seven to ten years old you said you were there for three years so this is yeah. starting around seven years old can we go back for a little bit and talk about i guess those first seven years you said your guardian was abusive in different ways who was your guardian at that time and were they your guardian from what zero to seven or or in that period of time, yes,
2: yeah, so my memory, if my rem- memory calls correctly, I can only remember same with my our grandma, which was our dad's mom, um, our parents both died at an early age, so I don't have any recollection of of my parent biological parents whatsoever um, okay. so from the death of our parents, we stayed with our grandma from our dad's side, which again, I'm not sure how long we were being abused. I just know that it reached a point to where we just, we didn't want and never felt that we should be experiencing such a condition.
1: And and this was at seven years old where you had this realization and, yes. or, and the, I guess the, the wherewithal to have a conversation with a teacher and ask for help.
2: Yes, and I cannot take any credit for that. My sister was the one to do that, um, and thank God she did, because had she not, you know, who knows what could have transpired.
1: So how long of a period of time was it between that conversation with your sister had with the teacher till the time you were placed in a home with Ethel and Paul, and what happens between that time?
2: Okay, so... The day my sister told our teacher, we stayed at the school pretty late into the evening so some, a representative from the Department of Children and Families picked us up. When they picked us up, they took us to a shelter, which houses kids that do not have a place to live. Within a few months, we were then placed into Ethel and Paul's home. Spent one night with Ethel and Paul and from speaking with Ethel and Paul years later, actually not too long ago, they had no idea that we were going to spend more than one night, more than that first night. It was supposed to be a, a trial to see how well we did in the home, if it was a, a good setting for us. But that all went out the door <laughs> the next day, right? We no longer, we didn't go back to the shelter. We stayed with Ethel and Paul. and Thankfully, we did because they were just amazing from the start to finish.
1: So talking to you previously, you you, and you mentioned it here, you were with Ethel and Paul for three years. So you're seven years old to approximately 10 years old and you're living what you would deem a mostly normal childhood at this point with caring parents and normalcies and being in school what happened around age 10? Why was it only three years? What then happened?
2: Yes. So, Ethel and Paul were what the state considers temporary or transitional foster parents, meaning when a kid gets placed into foster care, the state wants to put them in a setting to see how they react to, say, living in a different environment outside of the previous. And Typically it's only a year, maybe even less. So six months to a year where you would stay in that transitional foster home. But Ethel and Paul, their mindset going into foster care was if we do take on any foster children, we're they're gonna be a part of this family and they're not gonna be seen any differently. So with that being said, we were able to stay there for three years, which doesn't happen. However, at 10 years old, the state of florida wanted other kids to be able to have a transitional foster home to see how they react and that then i guess you can say we graduated to now foster care at its full effect
1: what does that mean foster care at its full effect so you were in this transitional foster care ended up being 3 years which was a blessing but then now the the state has said okay you need to leave where do they bring you and and what is that moment like
2: so one i can answer the latter part of that question first is it was heart-wrenching for for the children right for aisha and myself because of the fact we loved ethel and paul we we felt as if they were our parents and to be taken from that perfectly comfortable setting to now and to A foster home that you have no idea how the foster parents are. And typically you're just not the only children in that foster home. There may be other foster children, or perhaps there's children of the parents, their biological children as well that lives inside the home. Um, so my guess is because I don't know what goes into that decision making process of why choose why this home versus a different home. I think it has more to do with availability of the foster parents and who has the space for the two children that we're going to bring into their home. I will say at the one Paul, because they were so committed to us and being our foster parents, they were really affected pretty uh, negatively because they loved us so much. And to take, you're taking now these kids that we put our sweat and, and love into and saying you can no longer care for them. So it was, it impacted them negatively, although they continue to be foster parents, but I do feel that if they were allowed to, we would have stayed with them. Um, But it wasn't their decision. They've extended as far as they possibly could with the courts in the state to where it was out of their control. And now the state is saying, we need other kids to be able to transition into foster care, and we don't have enough transitional foster parents to do so.
1: And talk to me, you know, as you're telling this, I'm understanding then there's a temporary versus permanent foster care parenting Mm -hmm. um, and and situation for, for a foster child as well. Is that correct?
2: Yes. So what we experienced was temporary, being that it was transitional. But truly, every foster home you go to could be temporary. And that's the scary part about being in foster care, because if you make a mistake as a kid, which every kid makes mistakes, well, you're liable to now be in a situation to where you would have to be moved to another foster home because that parent no longer wants to care for you. And more times than not, that's the case, right? So temporary, I, I do feel as if many foster homes are temporary, but you do have those rare instances where you stay with the family throughout your whole entire childhood. Into young adult or graduating
1: high school, okay. And then, group home versus single family—you had spoke about so that Mm -hmm. a group home setting is what multiple foster children in one setting. Is this run by the state or is this at someone's house typically? Versus a single family.
2: Yes. So, group home means, of course, that there is multiple foster kids within that house that either the foster parent is caring for or there's a guardian there that is hired by the state to watch over the kids. So they'll work stiff. So if it's what I experienced was Monday through Friday, we had one guardian. And then during the weekends, we had another guardian as opposed to single family where you're staying there. It's the same family, same parents um, throughout your stay
1: a little more stability, a lot more stability. So let's go back to Ethel and Paul. You're 10 years old. The state removes you from their home. Where do you go?
2: So my sister and I, we went to a group home where there was multiple, not only multiple foster children, but there was also children of, biological children of the parents. So there was about eight, children in that one home. The living environment was much different than Ethel and Paul's, right? Because it's not just my sister now. Now it's my sister, I and other children there from in various age groups as well. And it becomes really scary, because if you're younger, the older kids kind of take advantage of the younger kids. And if you're a nuisance to the parent then they tend to not care for you as much and don't give you the attention you truly need as a as a child
1: so how long were you there for in this this situation
2: so we were there for a little less than a year um an incident happened where where one of the children in the home a male attempted to harass my sister and it happened to be the biological child of, of the parents that made this, uh, I guess, action towards my sister. And I reacted in a protective manner, which now put both my sister and I in a bad light in that foster parent. So within the next few days, we were split. So we can no longer stay at that foster home, but there's no other homes within, I guess, the area or region that Aisha and I, or my sister and I could stay. So now, instead of us being together, we were now split separately. So I would go one way and my sister would go another way.
1: So that's gotta be devastating. Extremely devastating. You're 11 or 12 at this point, I think 11
2: years, yep, 11 years old. Um, I still vividly remember, you know, us being in separate cars and just looking out that back window just in tears because of the f- the fact that we were all we had right so for for almost five years Aisha and I that's we were together hip to hip when you split up relatives or siblings like that it definitely is um devastating
1: uh, and it's surprising to me you know not knowing much about foster care that that this is allowed, that this is something that that happens. But as you know, a, a 11 year old, that's just got to be, you know, that's your world right there. So now you guys are driving off in separate directions. Um, I'm assuming you didn't have cell phones at the time. So communication was probably challenging. And so where do you where do you go? Where does the path take you? And where does it take your sister?
2: So, my sister ends up being in a single family foster home where she actually had a pretty good experience with that foster home up until her foster mom passed away. So, that was, if I call it correctly, around 15 years old for her versus me. I went into only group homes. Hmm. So, I went into a group home where there was now all boys rather than both genders. And of course, it's, you still had the, the age gap, right? You can have older teenagers and then you'll have younger kids as well. So anywhere from eight to say 15. And that was, it was not the best living environment, right? It was a lot of bullying. There was a lot of neglect as far as, I didn't have any decision on what I choosing what to eat, right? It's either you have what we have or you don't eat at all. It's either you go to the school or you don't. No emphasis placed on education. There was no emphasis placed on the well-being of the child. Yes, of course they are going to want to put you in front of therapists or psychiatrists just to see you know, how you're reacting to the situations, but as a kid, you don't feel you deserve any of the treatment, let alone want to speak to a therapist or a psychologist, right?
1: Well, yeah, I imagine it's all very emotional and, and, you know, makes one want to act out in one way or another with all these challenges and being taken from family to family. You know, when you talk about Ethel and Paul, I, I hear in your voice, you know, a very positive kind of reaction, response. And when you talk about these other situations you were put in, it wasn't as positive of an experience. Now, I, I know in talking to you, you've told me all these experiences have helped you grow into who you are. But, you know, to take a step back, it sounds to me, you know, there's bad foster parents and good foster parents. Is there something you would distinguish that? that kind of separates that what makes a good foster parent versus a bad foster parent in your experience.
2: Absolutely. So, what makes a good foster parent is you showing that you care for that kid, right? The child, whether it's fighting for them in a school where they're being seen as less than, right? Or if it's spending some of your own money just to make sure they have proper clothing on their backs and feet. Um making sure the food that you feed them is something that they actually like. So it's it's treating them as if it was your own child. There's a huge difference in experience for the foster child versus someone that is just taking in foster children because that foster child in each foster child is a certain dollar amount that I can collect. And so if I go after foster care for the somewhat, I I would assume financial benefit. Then I'm already approaching foster care in a in the wrong manner. Versus if we're going after foster care as foster parents, we want them to feel as they're part of this family and not separate our family from the foster kids.
1: When we had spoke before, Isaiah, you had mentioned to me there were experiences where you'd go into a foster home and and you knew there was a, a monetary kind of value to that families get when they bring in a foster child, but you'd go into a home and they'd have no TV within a week, they'd have a brand new plasma television or or something like that. Yes. I mean, that happened multiple, you know, you you saw that kind of, I guess, maybe not that exact example, but you saw that a few times.
2: Yes. So I I bring up, I brought up that example because I do remember um, in one home that I stayed at, that there was no TV in the living room. Uh, I'm sorry. There was a TV. It was, I don't even know how, what we call them back in the day, but the ones with the round, the big back
1: the, behind did you it. turn the knob. Yes. Yeah.
2: And then not too long after you're in the home. Now there's a, a flat screen on the, on the wall.
1: And that memory I, just stuck out to you.
2: Yes. And it, it, mind you, as a kid, you don't know that the parents care for you or the foster parents care for you. Uh, is receiving money. That's not something you're kind of privy to. I think that's more of a, a a conversation that the parents in the state have. So as I became older and I think back to those memories, I'm like, oh, it makes sense now why all these new gadgets are in the house, why all these improvements to their own home is actually happening versus caring for the child, making sure the child has what they need. Right. And speaking with Ethel and Paul, they went completely opposite, right? Cause the state truly really doesn't give you so much money and you were our children. So if you needed shoes, we're going to buy you shoes. If you needed a haircut, we're going to get your haircut or get your hair done or make sure you have what you need to have to be a kid. Make sure you have a Christmas, make sure Thanksgiving, right? There's um, certain plates that you enjoy. It's going to be served. So. The kid feels that immediately just as much as they feel the foster parent doesn't care
1: let's focus a little bit on ethel and paul because it sounds like they were they are a a model of of what a foster care parent should strive for in terms of you had the experience of living with them but also just recently going back and talking to them and and getting a little bit of their perspective and i think one of our goals is is maybe eventually to to try and get them on a podcast where they can talk a little bit further about that but but from talking to them what was their perspective why did they want to do this you know i mean it's a big undertaking i'm sure there's people who are going to be listening to this podcast who might be thinking about being a foster parent why what is what was their reasoning
2: well they just had so much love to give and So Ethel is from Scotland and and Paul is from Maine. In case anyone was wondering, I'm, you know, I'm African-American. So my sister and I are African-American children, right? So it was, it was a weird dynamic to start, but they went into foster care because again, their children, Paul and Elizabeth were already adults, right? So Paul was in college at the time and Elizabeth is a little bit older than Paul where she is starting her adult life as well. But they had that conversation with their whole entire family, not just here in America, but also in Scotland. So they, before they made the decision, they discussed with their family. This is what we want to do, um, and this is how we're going to do it. Is there any objections to how we plan on doing this? And so airing that out with the family prior to jumping into such a huge decision, Definitely tells me that they truly went in this with the utmost concern for foster children and also the the amount of love they had to offer to kids, I think, um, really dictated their reasoning um, to be foster parents.
1: And so that's great advice for anyone. Think about it is right is I mean, it is a an undertaking and you need to be full and passionate, have the love in your heart to be able to to do this, and not just to do it, but to do it well as a good foster parent versus some of the other experiences you had.
2: Absolutely. From talking to them, which, you know, I'm I'm very grateful that however it worked out that they retired in the same city that I'm currently working. And mind you, Ethel and Paul have been a part of my entire life. Um, We may have gone years without speaking, but I still to this day know the home phone number for them right, by by heart. And it has never left my brain. I still remember the exact address to where their house was in Miami. Yeah. So the imprint they had on me was huge.
1: In such a short time, but also a very, I guess, memorable, moldable time as a seven to 10-year-old. So after you left when you were 10, were you able to stay in touch with Ethel and Paul? Or was that Not possible back in that time.
2: Definitely more difficult to do. Um, But Ethel and Paul, they were adamant about continuously being a part of our lives and they made that known to the state. Right. So, one thing they did tell me is that, yes, there are things about this system that does need to change, but don't feel like you you don't have a voice as foster parents. Ethel was, (laughs) she literally would show up to their offices and, and let them know, hey, I'm going to be a part of this Aisha's and Isaiah's life. So what do I need to do to make that happen? Also, if anything needed to change, if we needed anything for our well-being, they're not going to the state, even though they may not offer it publicly. If you ask, there's options there, right? But if you don't ask, you'll never know. Um, And you'll just go with the status quo versus Someone that truly wants to make an impact in his, in children's lives, they search for the help or the resources for them.
1: I want to jump back a little bit in terms of uh, just kind of the experience. You talked about you and your sister being separated and what a, a heart-wrenching, emotional experience that was. Were you able to stay in touch with her over the next several years And how was that managed within foster care? Because you were your twins and your brother and sister. And I I just, I can't imagine that, you know, it just. Yes.
2: That, it, man, honestly, nowadays I would assume it'd be a little easier being that you have social media and technological advances to make that possible. But the only time I get to see my sister is when visitation was scheduled and for someone like myself that for quite some time, I was seen seen as a a problem child. So my visitation rights were kind of revoked until I could prove otherwise that I, you know, I can act accordingly to to what what was needed. Um, So it was held over my head. If I don't behave, I won't see my sister, which is extremely messed up right it should that should never be oh because you're misbehaving you would no longer you can't see your family that's
1: why i I would think it would exacerbate the situation too and and make you you know resent more
2: counterintuitive right it yeah it, it does not it does not help the kid whatsoever and that was more times than not so visitation is the only way i could have spoken to my sister and that was Few and far in between. So there was many years where we weren't able to speak um, on a regular basis. Um, we maybe maybe once once uh, once or twice a year for some time. As we got older and understood kind of how the system worked. So say 16 years old. Now I can voice. I want to see my sister. I want to be able to be a part of my sister's life and that not not be taken for granted because now it this is something i'm voicing as the foster kid gotcha and and then we had social workers they're called social workers that are case managers that would kind of navigate patron the the visitation between us
1: so i want to uh, there's really kind of a couple more things i want to make sure we cover in our time here on this podcast one is if we fast forward You know, you had told me you you met someone pretty influential. I think it was in in high school or maybe it was starting in college. But how you got to where you are today through the high school, through graduation and that, and and tell us a little bit about that story.
2: Yes. So when I was 15 years old, there was a scheduled visitation between my sister and I and the person that was bringing my sister to come visit me really fell in love with one our relationship um between my sister and I and and felt obligated to take me out of where I currently was to then live with her um which I was extremely happy to hear and excited to for it to happen so it did ended up happening to where I stayed with Miss Griffin for about a year, maybe even less than a year. During that time she placed me into and I was able to go into Christopher Columbus High School, which is a private Catholic high school down in Miami. Um, which it was at that school I was able to see a whole new world, basically. All right. I come from school never truly mattering to foster parents, not having friends, not going over to to your friend's house, not having a social life, right, to now being around children at one or teens that want more for their life, that care about their education, teachers that truly want to see you reach your highest potential, academics, athletics just had everything so i had a social life i had a a, a great academic life there it was a whole new world and what happened and what typically happens with foster kids is you get one chance right you get one chance one opportunity if you mess up that's it you either out of the foster home or you're out of the program or you're you no longer can receive the benefits of said opportunity. Well, within my first few months at Columbus, I ended up getting into a situation where I was kicked out of the school for a year. And because of that, Miss Griffin didn't want any part to do with me. She felt as if I embarrassed her, that I destroyed her name at the school, that I, I truly am no good. And she didn't want me to be in her house anymore. Well, I skipped a part of that. Uh, that whole situation is, Going to Columbus, I was provided a mentor um, that that is now who I call my dad. But during our conversations, you know, he really took the time to understand me as a kid. Um, he saw the the mistreatment and the just the neglect that I received from all different areas, not just foster parents, but also the state, also the case managers. Right? They didn't take the time to listen and see what was truly bothering me. He did. And I would spend hours with him talking. It got to a point where I would spend weekends with him and his family. And so the day that I got in trouble at the school, I was left there. And after football practice ended, he pulled up in his truck. He saw me and he I got, was in tears talking to him. And he said, I, Isaiah, and I verbatim, Isaiah, I'm tired of you having to experience this in your life. How about you come live with me and my family and you will never have to worry about feeling like you're not a part of this family. Our family loves you and we won't quit on you. We won't turn our backs on you. And I was I was extremely excited for that to be the case. And so from the age of 16 till today, that that is my dad. and And I have a family that loves me unconditionally, regardless of my mistakes. Or my successes they continuously fill me with love and and it's it has been what has changed my life
1: that's amazing it it took though till you were 16 where someone said to you hey you don't have to worry about this anymore you're not going to a different home you're not moving from place to place we're here for you
2: yes it was in that moment that that was the moment where my life was no longer sad or um depressing or however you want to label it it was filled with love and which is why t- even until today i am still i still have that same amount of love from from the first day joining or be, becoming a part of of the family
1: so you know as we wrap this up and you know i guess I want to end on a, a couple things one we spoke you said your sister you know ended up having a good experience when you guys separated that she had she found a good place to go and she's thriving and doing well today is that correct
2: yes and no um so so around 16 is where so i told you it started well for her the foster parent, the foster mom to be exact passed away and they had a really really good relationship and that destroyed my sister, right? Because now she's back to where I started at. So now it's group homes. Now it's un unstable living environment. See which many foster children that um foster girls to be exact, they don't get the support they need. They don't have the 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 role models or the the the, the guidance to make the best decisions and not to say or speak down to to her experience, but at sixteen she then became a, a mother. Right. So I have a nephew that's sixteen. And so her her experience definitely was down spiraling while while my experience at sixteen it's was changing. on the up was changing yeah. for the better. So right now currently she is doing much better. Um we talk every other day. Um but she, she, it took her longer adult-wise to, to adjust to not only being a mother, but also being a, a responsible adult.
1: In terms of, you know, why share your story? What do you want others to know? And what are other ways to help foster children that you think, you know, this audience, this BD audience can do or or what people you'd like people to know in general?
2: Yeah, so... This isn't the first time I've shared my story. I'm a pretty open book on it. And I share it because you take this individual that went through just bad and poor environments the poor environments, abuse, neglect, just traumatic experiences left and right to now being able to experience love and, and, and family and, and have a support system and, and have opportunities beyond just the first opportunity right so second chances those are all been able to create this me who who is just a a loving individual that would love for others to see that there are children out there that just wish for an opportunity maybe not to have a family and, and at such a level that i did but just an opportunity to see more than just abuse, more than just saying you don't deserve to have a normal childhood, more than just being told you're less than from your peers to those caring for you or should be caring for you. So my truly, I, the goal of this conversation would be for anyone that may be looking to foster children, may not want to have their own children or may have their own children that and now they're uh, empty nesters.
1: Empty nesters, yeah.
2: Yes. Yeah. so empty nesters, right? I'm not saying you, 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 you'd you have to bring in a foster kid, but you can definitely find ways to impact those children's lives if it's big brother, big sister, right? Um, many states, they have what they call guardian ad litem, which you are, this, which I had a guardian ad litem, but basically guardian ad litem, they are, speak for you in your best interest. Um, besides the fact they spend time with you, learn what you like, what you don't like, what you're interested in, what, what you, how do you feel about the future and help you through and guide you through that path? Uh, but they also have your best interest when perhaps the state of Florida doesn't or your foster parents don't either. There's ample amount of organizations that I do believe our team for the parent and caregivers will be putting out so that individuals within BD could gather more information on um, but nonetheless i just want people to know that you can make impact on a child's life that's in foster care by even providing a christmas gift for them or a birthday gift right um there's so many different ways you can make an impact and there's no telling what that impact can do for a child's life hence me standing here as soon to be a very successful individual because someone took the time to provide me with love and support and opportunity.
1: It's an amazing story. It's a touching story. I just, I am so appreciative of you speaking today and telling everybody about your experience. I know this will be impactful for a number of folks who listen to this. We're going to put links in the, in the podcast on the introduction to be able to, allow people to gain more information on this. And I'm sure Isaiah will be talking again, but I appreciate your time today. I appreciate you being so open and honest in sharing this story. It was powerful. And I've come away with a a lot bigger open mind of foster care and and understanding. So thank you so much.
2: I thank you for taking and making this opportunity possible. It truly, it is amazing to know that I work for a company that cares for their employees and the fact that we have these different ARGs to be able to provide resources to the wider group of, you know, of family here at BD. So thank you Joe for the time and opportunity.
0: Thanks for listening. For more information on the parent and caregiver ARG, feel free to contact Isaiah Griffin directly. And please, be on the lookout for new Better Together podcasts coming soon. This podcast has been a production of BD. BD and the BD logo are trademarks of Beckton Dickinson and its affiliates. Copyright BD 2022. All rights reserved.